All right, let's turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1, this morning. We've been studying one of John's portrayals of Christ for our monthly communion service, namely the Lord's usage of the term I am as an indication of his deity and his identity. So far, we've considered the main passage in John's Gospel, chapter 8, leading up to his identity with the Old Testament God, Yahweh. In John eight fifty eight, Jesus says, I am that I am. The same words used that, uh, uh, to Moses in the burning bush incident where God communicated himself in those same terms. Jesus has also portrayed himself in John's gospel as the bread of life in chapter 6. And as the bread of life, he not only is the one who sustains our physical needs, but gives us the heavenly manna that saves and nourishes us spiritually. Today we consider a third revelation of the Lord Jesus that's associated with spiritual and eternal life. Jesus once again draws from a life-giving essence in the natural world that we experience every day. As a matter of fact, it's so common we don't even think about it, and that is light. On two occasions, Jesus uttered the statement, I am the light of the world. He alluded to light in a spiritual sense in a number of other passages as well in the Gospel of John. And light is a term that The Apostle John uses a favorite term, uh, a major theme in his writings. Uh, The term occurs 36 times in the Gospel, another 30 times in the book of Revelation and his first epistle. So it's something that he uh, wants us to see in relationship to who the Lord is. John displays that indispensable relationship between light and life, and that it stands in contrast to darkness or all that's in opposition to God. Now we're going to delve into these passages where Jesus alludes to himself in this way, and from them we can derive three points. First of all, in chapter 1, we observe the incarnation of Christ the light. When he came into the world, John says, in him was life, and the light was a light of men. Then we also are going to observe the actual declarations of Christ about himself with this terminology, where he specifically calls himself the light of the world. And within the scope of those declarations, we find that people need to make a choice. Are they going to come to the light, or are they going to continue to reject it and walk in darkness? And then we're going to close off with two important qualities of those who do receive Christ as the light. As we do so, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, once again, we're thankful that we can come today to worship you, to spend some time in your word. And we're thankful, Lord, for the ways that you have chosen to describe the Lord Jesus and what he is to us. And we're thankful, Lord, for these terms of of self-revelation that he used, taken from life, 
the sphere that we're most familiar with and turning them into uh, spiritual light and information for us. We're thankful, Lord, that he is the true light that came into the world to enlighten man, not uh, just intellectually, uh, not educationally, Lord, but spiritually. And we're thankful, Lord, for the day we came to the light and trusted Christ as our Savior. So, Lord, bless us as we uh, look at Jesus, the light, this morning. We ask in his name, amen. All right, John chapter 1, as we read earlier, we see the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not supposed to happen. Okay. Uh, you guys get those every day, don't you? Even on a cell phone now, can't get out of it. All right, so uh, in, in John chapter 1, <clears throat> we have described for us what we call the incarnation of Christ. In other words, God in the Son becoming man. Uh, incarnation means in flesh. And he's described here in a number of ways. We want, to, we want to go through these because there's some important information about who Jesus is. And first of all, as you look at the first three verses there, you'll see that Jesus is the word from whom all things exist. And the word, as John portrays it here, another description of Jesus, is the, is the uh, self-communication or self-revelation of God. And Jesus is the living word of God. The scriptures we have today are the written word of God who describe who that living word is. And John later identifies this word with Jesus. If you look at verse 14, and the word became flesh, that means incarnate, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we know that that is Jesus. So Jesus is the living word proclaimed here by John in the very first verse. So he became flesh, and he came into the world as the Son of God, God in flesh, to um, provide salvation for mankind. Okay, so the word is not a concept, it's not an idea, it's not a lifeless communication, it is a personal being, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as the word, Jesus existed from the beginning and was active in creation. He was with God, who is eternal, and he was God. So Jesus is not merely a, another prophet, another man sent by God. He is actually God in flesh. He was he uh, has been, he always will be, he continues to be the Son of God. So he's co-eternal and co-equal with God, as we talked about in our Sunday school lesson this morning. God the Father made all things through God the Son. Nothing has come into existence without the agency of the Son. God spoke, and then Christ brought about what the Lord spoke in creation. Okay? Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so creation occurred by God's word, and that connects then to what John says about the Lord Jesus in chapter 1 of his gospel. And what is the first thing that the word brought forth after God created the dark, formless, watery mass that 
would become the earth and the skies. Well, you remember day one, God said, let there be light. Light is necessary for life. All living creatures need light in order to exist. The cycle of life on every level is dependent on light. God brought into existence physical light in order to maintain physical life on the earth. Now, now out of that original darkness and chaotic mass of the earth, the word called forth light. And then on the fourth day, the word brought forth the luminaries, the sun, the moon, the stars, and uh, he divided light from darkness and he named the light day and the darkness night. So when John is introducing this to us, He's going back in his thinking to, to uh, creative history and uh, the, the physical world coming into existence to introduce to us these concepts of light and darkness in the spiritual world. And the connection is not difficult for us to grasp. Now, let's see in verses 4 and 5 that Jesus is spiritual life and light as well as the physical life and light that he created. And as life and light are inseparable in the material world, so they are in the spiritual realm. Just as light illuminates the beauty and the wonder of the world in which we live and provides us with what is necessary to sustain physical life, Jesus illuminates us to the wonders of the gospel, the wonders of salvation, uh, and Uh, He is the source, then, of eternal life. Spiritual life and light stand in contrast to spiritual death and darkness. Those things are associated with evil, with sin, with spiritual blindness, and everything that opposes God. So this is a good illustration to us out of everyday things we understand uh, and how they play out in the spirit world. Now, we also know that light and darkness cannot coexist. Uh, What's the first thing that you do when you come into your house at night or maybe go into a room in your house that is dark? You flip on the light switch. Why? Because you can't see anything. It's dark in there. And the moment you turn the light on, you can see everything. The darkness dispels. It goes away. Uh, Only when light is absent does darkness appear. The world in which we live is full of spiritual darkness. When Jesus came, uh, he shed a spiritual light on that darkness. He exposed sin. He exposed evil. He exposed um, everything that opposes God in the world. And uh, at the same time, he revealed himself as the light to which all people must come in order to be delivered from spiritual darkness. Now, according to verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Well, that verb, to shine, is in the present tense. So that means the light continues to shine. It perpetually shines. And the idea is that Jesus perpetually shines in this dark, evil, wicked world. Often it doesn't seem like that, though, does it? It appears that the forces of evil are are winning. They're on top. They're conquering the light. Looks like the darkness has the advantage, and the light's being trampled down. 
But this is not really true. The darkness, it says here, did not comprehend. Now, that's a little bit of an awkward translation because we don't think of something inanimate like darkness comprehending or understanding something. What this verb actually uh, means here is uh, a sense of laying hold on something so as to bring it under your control. So the idea is uh, overcoming or overpowering the truth that the darkness was not able to overcome or overpower the light. Not even when Jesus died did the darkness win the battle in the end. So when Jesus came, the darkness did not conquer. When he died, it did not conquer because he rose again. And even now, as he lives in heaven, it does not conquer the light. Now, we have some more information given us uh, here about witness to that light. And verses 6 through 8, this is talking to us about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophet who would identify him uh, as, as the coming one, as the Messiah. And notice it says in verse 7, this man, John, came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was a true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. <clears throat> so, John is uh, making a statement here about the Baptist that he was a witness, a testimony to the truth of who the Messiah was. He was not, however, that light or the light. Jesus is the light of the world. He's not a light. A lot of religions think they're the light of the world or that they're a light in the world. Jesus is the one definite light sent by God, the true light, as John says here. Jesus later will say, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Uh, so he's the only real and true light that illuminates the path of eternal life. And again, <clears throat> we may wonder how he enlightens everyone or every person coming into the world in verse 9. How is that possible? There are billions of people in the world, and uh, there may be even billions who haven't really heard about Christ or heard the gospel, but Romans chapter 1 tells us that they have been enlightened, they have been given some light, they've been given natural light in God's creation. So through creation, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen in the things that he's made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. So if they reject the natural revelation, it goes to uh, speak that they would also reject the special revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to get something going in the direction for them to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are billions of people today who have heard of Jesus. Jews have to disprove that he is their Messiah. Muslims believe he's a prophet. Eastern religions would view him as a good teacher. So the problem is that most people either misinterpret who he is 
or they ignore the truth about him. And John really kind of brings that out here in verse 10. He was in the world, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. They didn't recognize him. He came to his own things, literally, and his own people did not receive him. So the problem is, not that we have no truth at all, uh, not that we don't have evidence in the world around us, not that the Lord Jesus hasn't been preached in every nation of the world, but people don't want to know him. They don't want to receive him. So that's the problem. So Jesus, the living word, came into the world to enlighten us about spiritual truth. Let's go on to consider what Jesus actually said and how he used light as an indication of spiritual things. So let's look at some of the declarations of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over, if you will, to John 8. John chapter 8. We need to get a little bit of background here. The context is one of opposition, one of disbelief that we often find. And um, uh, what's going on here is that the people have gathered for one of the feasts of Israel. We believe the Feast of Tabernacles. And what's unusual about that feast is that it's associated with light. On every day of that feast, as the, uh, the darkness approached, the people would light up torches all over the city of Jerusalem. Be kind of like a city you see uh, on a cloudy night around here, and you can see a glow there and a glow here. It's because of all the lights. But on the last day, the lights were extinguished. There were no lights. And it seems that on the last day of the, uh, of the uh, event, Jesus begins to proclaim something about himself that might have stood out because of the association with light, even in that feast. So let's take a look at it. All right, uh, uh, chapter 7, we got to back up here in verse 38. Uh, Verse 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink for he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So he's inviting people through another natural phenomenon to come to him as though they would drink water in a spiritual sense and they would derive life from that water, okay? Then in verse 40, we see there's controversy identifying who he is. Many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Others says, this is the Christ or the Messiah. So they're going back and forth, back and forth um, about all of this. But the, the scribes and the uh, Pharisees are opposing him in this whole situation. Uh, and now we jump over to chapter 8, and this kind of continues the story. Verse 13, the Pharisees therefore said to him, um, <clears throat> you bear witness of yourself. <clears throat> I'm sorry, back up here to, to verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, okay? This would be the same crowd that had gathered in chapter 7. We have the story in between of the the woman caught in adultery. And uh, Jesus says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So what he's teaching here is, if someone follows him, 
They're not going to walk in the darkness of this world anymore. They're going to have the light of life uh, to, to guide them and to direct them. Now, we can understand what Jesus was saying that day, but imagine you were back then. This is the first time that a person like this has come into the world. You may have heard him preach and teach, but you're not gathering things together as we do today when we have the whole word of God before us. So how would these, this have impacted the crowd on that particular day? Well, there are many Old Testament allusions to light. Again, we talked about the first day of creation when God brought light into being. Then you think about the, the stories in the wilderness. How did the Lord lead them through the wilderness? He led them as they walked by a pillar of fire that gave them light and protected them during the night. The Lord also uh, spoke uh, is spoken of in the Old Testament as light. In the book of Psalms, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Also, in your light, we see light. And then we have references to, to God's word, his revelation. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Then you have some prophetic passages, one of which is Isaiah 9-2, a great messianic passage. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. So Jesus is calling these people to see him in this context, in this way. He's connected the Old Testament and all those allusions to God being light. And then he says, I am the light of the world. Now, the religious rulers of that day were walking in the darkness of false interpretation and unbelief. They were denying and opposing the teachings of Jesus, the light. But those who were willing to follow him, well, those are the ones who are going to enjoy the light. They're not going to walk in darkness anymore. <clears throat> They're going to have the light of life, who is the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> now, this actually sets up the scene of chapter 9. So let's go over there and see the second time Jesus calls himself the light of the world. <clears throat> and this is the story of a man who's born blind and Jesus heals him. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now here's a context. Back up a little bit. This fellow is blind from birth. The disciples think, well, who sinned his parents or him that caused him to be born blind? Well, it couldn't be him. He was born blind. He hadn't committed any sins. Sometimes people believe back then that, well, the parents do something wrong. It's going to be taken out of the child. That was kind of a false belief, but it's coming out here. <clears throat> and Jesus then says that neither this man or his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So God had a purpose in this person being born blind. And then he goes on to say, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no man can work. So the time for his work to be done is drawing to a close, and he's got to do this quickly. And then he says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. 
And what he does now is going to be an illustration of uh, seeing the light of Christ. Now, the Pharisees, after this miracle is completed, they start talking to this man. They don't believe what's going on. They want to know what's happening. Again, they're opposing this. They're not believing it. They're not supporting the Lord Jesus Christ. This fellow stands up for himself quite well, though. Uh, but he gets booted out of the, uh, out of the uh, uh, synagogue because he is going against what the religious leaders are telling him. But what we want to notice is he comes back to Jesus. Jesus meets him after all this discussion in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him. Before he couldn't see, now he can. And it's he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be blind. <clears throat> so he had a spiritual purpose in doing this as well. He, he encounters this man, this man has not only experienced the healing power of Jesus, but he comes to faith in the saving power of Jesus. His eyes have been opened to the spiritual truth. And while the Pharisees have been discussing and not believing, they ask a question, are we blind too? Jesus says, absolutely. You're still spiritually blind. You think you see, but you don't. You're spiritually blind. So they remain in their spiritual blindness and unbelief. Now that leads... To another occasion where men are warned that a decision must be made concerning Christ, who is the light. So now let's flip over to chapter 12. Now, we're coming right up to the crucifixion of Christ. This is the last week of his life uh, before the crucifixion. It occurs during the week of Passover. And the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Okay, verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So he's praying to the Heavenly Father. Not long before he is going to be going to the cross, he's starting to feel the pressure of that and the uh, agony of that. And now we have the final affirmation of God the Father to God the Son. A voice comes from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again in your death and resurrection. That's what he's talking about. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. So they, it seemed like they did not understand what was being said, but they could hear uh, something going on. And Jesus answers that this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. <clears throat> so he's talking about the manner in which he would die, the crucifixion being lifted up from the earth. This is going to happen in just a short while. Uh, the people questioned this, 
And Jesus responds in verse 35 and really opens things up to another invitation. Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer the light is with you. Okay, he's going to be dying. He's going to be crucified shortly. He will be raised again. He will appear to certain people over uh, 40 days. Then he's going back to heaven. So we're just talking a few weeks that he's going to be on the earth. And most of that time, he's not going to be visible as he has been. So just a little while longer. Then he warns, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. We know what that means. Uh, you, you don't turn the light on in that dark room. You start stumbling over furniture and stuff laying on the floor because you can't see it. Well, that's true spiritually as well. You walk in darkness, you can't see the spiritual things uh, of the Lord. So he's making an invitation here. <clears throat> walk in the light while you have it. Take advantage of the opportunity. Don't let the darkness overtake you. Same word as back in chapter 1, verse 5, the darkness did not comprehend the light. So those who walk in darkness, they're groping around. They have no guidance. They're void of the truth. They're blind. The light overcomes darkness, but you have to receive it. You have to walk in it. And so what does he do then? He goes on to say in verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So there's faith. You've got to uh, to express faith. You've got to trust who Christ is, what he's done to save you from your sin. You have to put your faith in him. You can't just listen to what he has to say. You can't just see the works that he does. You've got to put your personal trust in him as your light and your life, your salvation. Now that applied to the people of Christ's day. They had the opportunity to see him, to hear him, to observe his miracles, to to see his way of life, and then to come to him as a disciple. It applies to uh, people today as well. We have to put our faith and trust in Christ as a light. Someone said there is a finite, limited time in which each individual has the opportunity to respond to the light of the world. After that comes darkness. One's response to the light decisively determines one's judgment for eternity. So we have to come to him in faith. And unfortunately, verse 37 says that not very many people did that. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. What a sad thought that is when they actually saw him physically. Well, let's turn now quickly to just a couple of qualities of those who do receive Christ as the light. Well, as we saw in verse 36, they're characterized by walking in the light. In order to become sons of the light, we have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do, it says that we will become the sons of light. The verb become there 
is in a tense that indicates once for all action. That's our initial putting our faith and trust in Christ as our Savior. We become saved once for all. We begin our walk in the light. We become a son of God. But then he also used the term believe, which is in a different tense. That's the present tense. So that means we always have to be believing. Our faith never stops. Uh, We keep on believing. And we do that by walking daily in the light that God gives us in his word. So faith is always going to be a part of the Christian's life every single day. We continue walking with him, trusting with him every step of the way. So faith keeps us on the path of enlightenment. Paul uses similar terminology in Ephesians chapter 5. You'll probably remember this from our previous studies, but let's just turn there for a second. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Paul uses similar terminology. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then he mentions the fruit of the Spirit, and some uh, interpret uh, the word spirit with light, fruit of the light, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So here are characteristics of those who are walking in the light of the Lord. Uh, and, in, and in verse 1 of chapter 5, or, re, or verse 2 rather, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. And then if you go uh, further on to verse 15, he tells us, to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, so walk in wisdom. So these are the characteristics and the qualities of those who have trusted Christ and who are walking in the light. They're becoming like the Lord Jesus, who is their light. Now, <clears throat> let's close with this thought. We must be witnesses to the light. We walk in the light, and we are witnesses of the light. That's what John was in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He was a special called witness to the light, but we also are. Um, It's kind of like Jesus is is a great lighthouse, and he's casting his beam across the world. We're more like uh, flashlights, but we're, we're leading the lost to the Lord. We're doing our part. And the Lord Jesus alludes to this, In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, a very familiar commandment that he actually gives to us. So let's close with that. Matthew chapter 5, and let me see if I can find it here. Maybe it's chapter 6. hate when that happens. At any rate, you know that Jesus said that we're supposed... Oh, I'm in Mark. (laughs) No wonder I can't find it. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is uh, giving the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what he says in verse 14. You are the light of the world. So his disciples are now lesser lights. They're reflecting his light. And what are we like is that we're like a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. 
That's the, that's the corporate unity of the church. When we gather together in one community like a city, when we come together on the Lord's Day, we are like a light. We're like a city on a hill. We're shining out there for the world to see. Um, the corporate light shines every time we meet. And we meet in harmony. We meet in love. We meet as an example of Christ in the world. And we also shine forth the gospel from this meeting place. As Paul says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the gospel of, of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And our light is also a private light, as Jesus goes on to say, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So that's a private light. That's when we gather in our homes with our family, our relatives, our friends. So we have a responsibility to shine there in our own personal sphere of influence. We don't uh, put the light out when people come. We, we put the light on. We make it visible. We make it seen. We're not hypocrites. We don't act one way out in the world and then come home and be entirely different. So in these ways... Jesus says in verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So this morning, let's thank the Lord that Jesus has become the light of our life. And let's ask God to enable us to walk with him and by faith help us to shine the light of the gospel in the darkness of the world. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word. We're thankful that Jesus indeed is the light of the world, that he shines on everyone, and we have a responsibility to receive him, to trust him as our Savior. Lord, we're thankful for the day that we came to know him as our light, and now we ask you, Lord, to help us to walk in that light and be a witness of it to the people of the world that we rub shoulders with. Bless us with these thoughts, Lord. Help us to fulfill them, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>